0: a real privilege to be standing back up here again. Uh, well, I think we were here probably about a year ago, be something like that, maybe longer. And it's fallen to me to actually give you a bit of an update on uh, what we've been doing out in uh, PIM land. First of all, uh, looking around here, there's a lot of people I know, but there's also people I don't know. So I thought I'd give you a bit of an update on what PIM is, Presbyterian Inland Mission Presbyterian Inland Mission uh, was founded back in about 1912, originally as Australian Inland Mission. And what it does is an organisation, it goes and uh, or sends people out to visit people on isolated stations, farms, properties, etc., uh, to take the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So in the work which we do, uh, we spend a lot of time driving, and driving, and driving, and still driving some more. And when we go out to see people, it's all about trying to either evangelise, share the gospel or disciple for those people who have come to faith uh, or, or are already believers but are unable to get into a regular church type environment to actually share more and teach them more either by way of Bible study, uh, although the technique I use normally is I, when I'm talking to somebody I'll say I'm preaching this week on such and such what do you think I should say from that? And I'll read it to them and then they can come back with ideas and that's how we do a Bible study whenever we do it. Um, In terms of where we are, it's now a relatively mature uh, ministry. Um, We go and see all the people we see roughly once every four to six weeks. Um, Some of the people who we see are not believers. Uh, Some of the people who we see are relatively new believers and some of them are quite mature uh, believers as well. But in terms of the nature of the the ministry, I'm also now just recently taken on a a regular fortnightly radio program on a Christian radio station uh, in Mildura, which we're trying to expand out so as to be able to uh, be picked up by more people and stations. Also uh, in the home mission work, which I do uh, in the church there in Nichols Point in Mildura, yes, Mildura does have a suburb. Nichols' points. when we go to that church there, we live stream every week on Facebook. I look at the beautiful technique and strategies which you've got here, YouTube, and I'm in awe. (laughs) But we live stream every week on uh, Facebook, on a Facebook page called Sunraysia Presbyterian Church. And why do we do that? Well, yes, there are people who watch from different places in the world, but more specifically, there are people who watch from our patrol area. Uh, they can't get in to um, a church. And so for those people who are maturing in Christ yet can't get in, they're able to watch our worship service every week. Uh, I email out a copy of the text every week uh, so they can read it. There's one particular lady I have in mind. I email it out um, two days or a day beforehand and she will read the text. Uh, she doesn't pick up all my mistakes for me and doesn't come back to it. But, uh, and then when the service starts, her husband, who's not a believer, will not interfere with his wife as she's at church, sitting in her lounge chair out on the station which she is uh, at. So it's, it's a ministry which is diverse. Uh, when we first of all went out there, the superintendent at that time, who is now the superintendent once again, uh, Stuart Bonington uh, said to me, when you go out there, make, make the area your own. And so we see somewhere between uh, 20 to 30 people actually more, I should say 20 to 30 station. Uh, one, of the, one of the things we do is we also have a Bible study on the fourth Tuesday of every month at a place called Murray Downs. And uh, there can be up to 18 people come along to that Bible study. Uh, and it's on this coming, not this coming Tuesday, but Tuesday the 27th of February. And that's our longest day of the month. Uh, what we do is we'll leave home normally at 5 to 7 in the morning and we'll get home probably about 11 o'clock at night. And we'll have seen only really uh, one person in a place called Mullameen. I'm sure you've all heard of the mighty township of Mullameen. Well, they live about 20 kilometres out of it, down an eight kilometre long driveway. And uh, then after that, we head into Murray Downs. And uh, there we have a whole lot of people come in from different places and we share, we buy pizza, and we all share a meal together. And then I'll go through either preacher sermon or we'll do a Bible study. So Our ministry is diverse. Alison has an amazing ministry. I call it the Ministry of Tears. For those people who have known Alison for many years, you're all saying, yes, I can relate to that. But she has an amazing ministry. When we go out, the first person we meet on a station is normally a woman. Uh, and so from our perspective, uh, I think it's singularly very important to have my wife with me. And she has been able to sit down and, and minister in a way which I couldn't to some of the women on stations which we go to. So we've been able to be a blessing to others by God's grace and by what you're doing here. Um, I noticed, uh, James, when you were praying, you had a proactive prayer, thanking God for the offering. Well, I want to thank you also for the offering because the offerings you make here enable us to be able to continue the work we're doing out there. I will say it's wonderful being here today. The temperature was only 37 degrees in Nicholls Point. I think it got to 25 today. Uh, the hottest we've ever had on our back veranda was 52. And if you think I love the heat, you're wrong. <laughs> I hate the heat. Uh, but I love the opportunity to serve a God, uh, the thrice holy God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. And I feel privileged that I'm a sinner and I'm able to share of the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And that's something which you all have as well. So that's my bit of an update on um, what we're going or what we're doing in terms of our PIM work. But uh, I thought we'd read tonight from uh, the book of Jonah, and I encourage you, if you've got any Bibles in the pew, it's on page 921. These are the, the black-covered ones. I encourage you to read along with me. I'm reading from Jonah, chapter three. Herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that is in his hands, who knows? And God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish. When God saw, What they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord, and we have been blessed as we've uh, been given this inspired word. Before we look at this word, let's pray. Our Father and our God, as we come to consider your word, we pray that you will quieten our hearts that uh, as we come to hear the word expounded, that our hearts will be turned to you, our minds will be switched on and we will grow in our love and knowledge of you. Lord, uh, the words I speak, may they be acceptable in your sight and may you be honoured and glorified in all we say. These things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. It was in 1966... A man by the name of Michael Hurd released a brief series of songs or a a musical cantata which he called Jonah Man Jazz. It was basically a musical rendering of most of the Book of Jonah. When I was at high school in in Maitland in uh, New South Wales in 1970, I was part of a a choir that sang these songs before the whole school of some 1100 boys at that time. The first song sort of started with a whole lot of finger clicking and then we started to sing in a jazzy style. Nineveh city was the city of sin, the jazz and a jivan made a terrible din and then it went on. Yet the one song that in that cantata that I can't remember learning is song six, the last song. It's, it's the song which is loosely about what we've read here today, maybe I did learn it and I've forgotten it. After all, it's over a half a century ago now. But when I hit the internet, I found that the last words of the last song were, tell the whole world, tell the whole world, tell the whole world just what it's all about. Now as I was preparing for today's message and as I was considering uh, what would be the major application or what's the big idea that I want you to take home, Well, I want you in the light of the historical reality of the Ninevite Revival, and and that's what it was. It was a revival. I want you to remember the last two lines of Song 6 of Jonah Jazz. tell the whole world, tell the whole world, tell the whole world just what it's all about. So turning to the text before us as as we read this passage today, I I suppose a couple of questions might have come to your mind. One of them would have been, how did that message, the message God told Jonah, how did it get through to the Ninevites such that they responded in the way they did? And a second question might be, since it was so effective is that perhaps like something like the message we should be taking to the world as faithful disciples when we're acting as missionaries and, and, and talking with our unbelieving friends, our unbelieving neighbours and those people we meet on the street. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but in our text today, in just 10 verses, we read of an amazing miracle. A revival where at least 120,000 souls, we're told in chapter 4, were saved from God's wrath in just 40 days as Jonah finally obeyed God. And preached this wonderfully short message across the city. Yet, the message, when you read it, frankly, it's a terrible message, isn't it? In verse 4, it says, Yet, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And yet, this message was so effective that, as verse 5 says, the people of Nineveh believe God. They call for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. This was This was bigger than a Billy Graham crusade. So as I look at the passage before us, I'm going to break it into three brief points tonight. Uh, Firstly, Jonah, the man who was finally obedient. Then secondly, the bad news and finally the response, both the immediate response and the ongoing response to the bad news. So firstly, Jonah was now Finally obedient. In the first two chapters of this book we've read about Jonah the the ignorant prophet uh, disobediently trying to flee from the the presence of God who we know is omnipresent. That is, he is present everywhere. Jonah caught a ship uh, to a place called Tarshish in his attempt to run from God, to disobey God's command and yet God sent a big storm such that the ship he was in began to sink and in the end Jonah identified himself as the one who was fleeing from God and told the ship's passengers and crew to throw him overboard, which they did. Well it was whilst in the water as he was sinking into the deep amongst the seaweeds and stuff that the Lord God directed a big fish to swallow him and it was whilst in the fish that Jonah finally relented in prayer. And surrendered to God's will. So God made the fish vomit him up on the shore just near where he had first boarded the ship. So in our passage today we, we see Jonah finally submitting and obeying God and in that there is a major learning for us, for us all here and that is that when you came to faith When you confess Jesus Christ as as the Lord and and, and the King of your life, you submitted to His authority, or at least that's what you should have done. But in so doing, if you love Him, you should obey His commandments. It was our Lord who commanded His disciples, as recorded in John's Gospel at, at chapter 14, verse 15, He said there, if you love Me, you will keep My commandments. Try to learn that, that verse off by heart, learn it wrote. If you've learned John three sixteen before, well learn this one too, John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But as Jonah was told to go to Nineveh, basically to preach bad news, a bad news sermon, well, as disciples of Christ, we've been told or we've been commanded to go into all the world and preach the good news. The best news ever. Now are you doing it? Are you doing it? Are you being an obedient missionary or a disciple? Am I doing it? Or are we still fleeing from the presence of the Lord like Jonah did? Do we still find excuses as to why we disobey his commandment here? Are we going to be like soldiers in a foxhole in a war with bullets flying over our heads and bombs going off who who make a promise to God that if only He would save them, they'll give their lives to Him, only to either forget the promise they made when the battle ceases raging and they survive, or worse still, they, they say to God, Look, it's all right. The battle's over. I can take it from here. They ignore the fact. That it was God that saved them that the battle ended as he listened to their prayers their terrified prayers and acted on them. I confess I knew in my life uh, some years ago that I should be serving God in teaching ministry and yet I resisted God and progressively life became more difficult as I failed to submit to God's will for my life and yet when I finally did obey life although not a bed of roses in the physical sense as the world looks at it well it's wonderful it's wonderful i'm I'm content knowing that what i'm doing is what i should be doing the knowledge that i'm a sinner not worthy of anything and yet both saved and trusted by our absolutely holy God to proclaim his Christ before the world is an amazing knowledge why God chose me, I don't know, but he did. But for you, for you, as disciples of Christ, he has also chosen you and given you a command as well. Now, what are you doing about it? Perhaps you're now admitting in your heart that you know God has chosen you to undertake some ministry, in his service, and you've been resisting him. Well, now is the time to be a faithful person, a faithful disciple of Christ. Now is the time to submit. Now is the time to be an obedient Jonah who remembers the old Nike logo, you know, the swoosh. Uh, And who remembers the accompanying punchline? Just do it. Just do it just proclaim Christ, maybe you won't see the great revival Jonah saw, maybe you, uh, no one will come to faith as you obey Christ but the fruit of your labours in terms of uh, people on seats in a church building is not the point, it's the obedience to and the love of God that is. Well this brings me to my second point, the bad news, Talk about the shortest sermon ever, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. In terms of messages up there with phrases like, we're all going to die, or the end is nigh, isn't it? What on earth would have caused anyone to listen to Jonah's message? It's perhaps one of the most pessimistic statements you'd want to hear, isn't it? It's not really a sermon, like the sermons you hear today, it's just... Plain bad news. When you read that, we thank our Lord that we're not commanded to share bad news. We're commanded to bring the good news, to share the good news, the best news ever, the gospel. But why was Jonah's sermon, this, this short little statement, why was it so effective? How come this uh, great, miraculous revival occurred in the capital city of what history consistently reports was the mean, sadistic Assyrian Empire? Well, you'd have to say that our omnipresent God went before Jonah, wouldn't you? I can remember uh, seeing and hearing uh, preachers on street corners faithfully proclaiming Christ and not a soul listening. Perhaps you've seen that sort of thing too. People just walk by, going about their business. Some even mock the preachers. My point here though, is if, you, if God doesn't do a work of grace, then no one will listen. No one will listen. For many, as uh, a, my sister once said to me when I attempted to share Christ with her, they complain that they're too busy. They're worrying about their day-to-day lives, They're here and now. They tell you quite plainly, they they haven't got the time to think about God. They haven't got the time to consider Christ. Their priorities, we know, are wrong, but that's where they're at. So clearly God had to have gone before Jonah, didn't he? It was him who softened the hearts of those that lived in Nineveh. After all, just reading that message... Uh, it was only five words in the original Hebrew, why would anyone listen to it? Why would they listen? Yet they did. And again therein lies a message for us too, when you're going out to share the gospel or even as you're actually sharing it, pray and ask God to do a work of grace in the lives of those you will or are sharing the gospel with. Yes, faith comes by hearing the word of God, as Paul says in Romans chapter 10 verse 17, but unless the Spirit gives life such that they can see the kingdom of God, how would those who are dead in their sin hear? Dead people can't hear. People dead in sin can't hear. Again, I remind you of the words of the Apostle Paul in his, in his letter to the Ephesian church of chapter 2 where he says firstly in verse 1 there, and you were dead... In the trespasses and sins in which you were once walked following the course of this world. And then he he says in verse 4 But God, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now, did you hear that? Who made us alive? It was God. God did. Why? Because he loved us and in his merciful, gracious love to us, he made us alive. For with that in mind, when you're uh, about to share the gospel, pray that God in his love would give life to those to whom you speak so they can hear and be saved. When Alison and I go out uh, on our PIM work, Frequently, and I must confess, not always, frequently uh, we pray that God will go before us as we meet people. We pray that he will give life, life in the spirit, such that when we share the gospel, they'll believe. However, remember God will show mercy to whomever he will show mercy. He will show mercy uh, to people Um, I'll start that again, He will show mercy to whomever He will show mercy. So if people you talk to don't all swoon and, and repent and believe on the spot, well, don't be disappointed. As believers, as disciples, we're called to share the good news. We're not called to convert people. I'll never be able to convert anyone. You will never be able to convert anyone. That's God's role. But we are called to be obedient, to be faithful in proclaiming Christ. Yes, in sharing the good news, you will proclaim the bad news too. Uh, You will proclaim the consequence if if they don't believe hell. The threat of an eternity in hell is not good news. But the good news, the the gospel of the sinless saviour, the Christ who took our sin upon himself as our substitute, the Christ who bore the entire wrath of God against our sin and died only to rise again bodily on the third day in his conquest of death. That's the good news and it gets better. We too are promised the same bodily resurrection he experienced when he returns on judgment day what a hope what a sure and certain hope we have in our Lord that's what we've got to say the job's done it's finished the price is paid and now we only have to await the final consummation we have to share this this message of hope and, and call on people sinners just like you and and me just believe and accept Christ as their resurrected Lord and King. They can't earn it. To us it's a freebie offered to the world but received by faith alone. God can either use bad news like he did with Jonah or indeed good news to save And if he goes before us as we are faithful, people will come to know him and some will repent of their sin and believe in him. They'll plead with him to save them from his wrath. So when you're presenting the gospel, be faithful, be obedient and stress the need for the lost to have faith in the only person who can save them from the Father's wrath. As we've seen God used the bad news he gave Jonah to save, but for us, God uses the good news that he commanded us to proclaim to save. And this brings me to my third and and final point, the response, both the immediate response and the ongoing response. Verse five tells us that the people responded. They didn't just believe Jonah the man. Clearly, they understood that Jonah was delivering God's message. and As a consequence, fasted and put on sackcloth, all of them, from the greatest of them to the least. Even the king was changed. From verse six we read, the, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it throughout Nineveh. And these, were, these were the words. By the decree of the king and his nobles, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call mightily, call out mightily to God. That's amazing, really, isn't it? The city was already turning to God, but then the king issued a decree, basically a law, that everyone should fast and wear sackcloth and call out to God. Could you imagine our Prime Minister calling the nation to repent and believe if he was convicted of his sin and came to faith in Christ? I pray it happens and I ha- pray it happens soon. Yet, On top of that decree for fasting uh, and sackcloth and sitting in ashes, the king also ordered the people to change their ways. In the second half of verse 8 in his proclamation he says let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. This call for repentance by by the king of Nineveh was also a call for moral change in the lives of people. We should always remember that that's one of the aspects of repentance. In repenting of your sin you're saying I'm going to change. I won't be the old sinful self. I'm going to try and live without sin, not for my salvation but because of it, as I obey my Saviour's commandments. What can we take from the king of Nineveh's call to the city to repent? Well, what will cause God to turn and relent of his fierce anger? which would clearly be there against Australia today, the godless nation that we live in today. In Australia, people are are proud to declare that they have no religion. People are proud in in their rebellion against God. People call that which is wrong, right. And that which is right, wrong. And they do so by saying it's loving to do so. Their ignorance of who God is as they deliberately ignore or reject what is so evident about who he is just by observing his creation to us as believers. That's almost mind-boggling really, isn't it? As believers, we should be praying for our nation. We should be praying for those that God has placed in authority over us. We should be praying for a revival just like the Ninevite revival. Well, Nineveh repented and God relented. And that's wonderful. Yet I need to make you aware of the prophet Nahum. Nahum is a, another one of the so-called minor prophets in our Bibles. Nahum was written about 100 to 150 years after the revival in Jonah's time. It took, it's a book of, of no mercy to a generation of Ninevites who had forgotten the Jonah led revival they'd forgotten their their former king's call to repent they'd forgotten the call to change their ways in chapter 3 verse 5 of Nahum God says to Nineveh I am against you and in verse 7 it says all who see you will flee from you and say Nineveh is in ruins who will mourn for her The city that had repented had slid once again down the slope of sin and this time God showed no mercy. It's interesting to recognise that the destruction of Nineveh was so thorough and so complete that after a time people almost wondered if it really existed. The desert sands of Iraq had all but swallowed up the ruins. People wondered if the biblical accounts only allegorical in nature. It wasn't until 1847 in the ruins of Nineveh that the throne room of the last king of Nineveh, Sennacherib, was rediscovered and interestingly it was uh, Saddam Hussein, the former Iraqi dictator, who set about restoring and rebuilding parts of the city. Now why am I telling you this? Well, not only do we as individuals have to persist in faith in the race set before us, but also cities and nations must as well. What lies ahead for the, the Western nations of this world, the old so-called Christian nations who now call what is good bad and what is wrong right? What lies ahead for them, for us? Some are call to you is to pray that God will once again show his mercy to our nation and indeed the world. Pray that by his grace and mercy that he will relent as he draws people irresistibly to repentance. Pray that he will send workers into the harvest field to proclaim Christ and pray that Christ will return soon. Pray for a revival of, dare I say, biblical proportions. Jonah was finally obedient to God and he saw a mighty revival yet it lasted less than three maybe four generations. What will God do to us as cities and nations that once knew him but now reject him? So as you consider this, remember the last two Lines of Song Six of Jonah Man Jazz. Tell the whole world, tell the whole world, tell the whole world just what it's all about. My challenge to you is this love Christ by obeying his commandments. Proclaim the good news, the best news ever. And just looking at each one of you individually, it's not someone else's responsibility. It's yours.